are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. By Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The second passage, Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Thank you, JC. Well, we're spending our time this summer as we meet Sunday to Sunday studying the attributes of God. As Katie said, it's just a fancy way of saying, what is God like? What are his attributes? What is his character? And in our table question, we just asked, who is a man whom God has used in your life to bless you in a significant way? And whoever you mentioned around your tables, I'm sure that that man has specific qualities, specific attributes that have made him so special to you, so endearing. Things that make him who he is. And we came to this idea for summer to study this kind of question, what is God like? Because Katie and I were talking one day in the office and we were saying, you know, there can be things that are really hard to understand about God because our cultural lens is so different in some ways than the cultural lens of the Old and New Testament. And so understanding things like, I'll give some examples, God's holiness or the nature of the atonement, which is just a way to say what happened at the cross, or things like the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you've ever wondered, what is that about? What was behind that? And if we don't understand those things, it can actually make understanding the cross and why Jesus died there rather difficult. And the other challenge is that if our understanding of who God is is not shaped by the Bible, well then you and I very easily will just kind of fill it in with our own ideas. And guess what? When the picture of God is complete that we have constructed, isn't it interesting how God looks just a whole lot like my views and preferences and my wish list? And he might become then not much more than a benevolent grandfather, or a Santa Claus kind of figure who's always jolly and distributing gifts. Or a very kind-hearted police officer who never gives me a ticket, but gives one to everybody else who deserves one. How easily we can make God in our own image. But God gave us the Bible so that we would know who he is. And he showed us himself in sending his son, so that we would have this full and true picture of who God is and what he's really like. And guess what? When he is telling us that, it is much bigger and much better than anything we could cook up on our own. So in this series, we're asking, what is God like? And each week, we'll have a different attribute of God to look at, occasionally doubling them up like we have these recent weeks. 
So Pastor Sonia, she got us started a couple weeks back, and she brought to us the theme of God's eternal nature. That means God has no beginning and no end. And before anything else was, there was God. He's the only thing then that is unchanging, and that's a really good thing because God being unchanging means that we can trust him. That what he says and who he is, is true. And then last week we had our friend Bruce Powers over from Now Then Alliance Church, and he shared about God's sovereignty, which is just the big word to say God's power. That he is Lord and he is ruler over all creation. And now this week, as Katie shared with the kids and teed it up for us, we're going to talk about God's self-sufficiency in the Trinity. Now two big topics and a little bit daunting as we might first hear them. But I have been praying this week. I had lots of time because I was in quarantine. So I was praying that these topics would not be overwhelming. But rather that God would take these two foundational truths and he would just this morning plant them deep in our hearts. That is what I've been praying as I've been waking up each morning. So I've entitled the message today, The Self-Sufficient Trinitarian God and why it means so much. So let's begin with God's self-sufficiency. Which honestly, I'm glad we had Katie here to explain it to kids because all of us adults can come along and have her explain it for us. Scripture thankfully paints the picture of this big word. And as one example, I've brought to us this reading from Acts 17. This is the Apostle Paul. We just read these two verses, but so you know where this is. The Apostle Paul is speaking before an assembly in the city of Athens, and he is telling this crowd of people about the one true God versus in Athens all these idols and statues that he has seen, all these different entities that they worship. And he says in the reading, if we pick it up there, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And I'm wondering if you remember back to, for me, I think it was seventh grade when we had Greek mythology. Is it middle school? Is that when you'd cover that? So think back with me and let's test your memory. I'd look some of these up, but I could remember some of the names. I want to see if you remember what these different gods or goddesses were in charge of. All right, so let's start with, kids, you can participate in this too, of course, Poseidon. Poseidon was the god of the sea. Very good. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. A little trickier one now. Athena was the goddess of, did I hear war out there? I think I heard it. Some of you got it. Now they had maybe a couple other areas they were responsible for. Yes, no bonus points for that. But yes, her main deal was the goddess of war. Now here's one. I've seen this one depicted in um, one of the cartoons we watched recently. Hades was the god of the Underworld. I can't remember what Disney movie that is. And then how about the boss? His name was Zeus, and he was the god of the sky. For Marvel fans, you might be thinking of the god of thunder, whose name is Thor. All right, that one's even more familiar. The Nordic equivalent of Zeus. That's who that is. But Paul is saying, that's all just mythology, These are just flawed superheroes. All this parceling out of who's in charge of what. Gods that really are just as moody and fickle as any of us on earth. 
And Paul says to them, do you want to know who's really God? The one true God? It is the one who made the world and everything in it. Note this, the Lord of heaven and earth. Not just a little part of it. And Paul says, this God does not live in man-made temples, whether that's on Mount Olympus or it's back in Jerusalem. Verse 25, this is God's self-sufficiency, the second verse. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You know what's really good news? And this is going to sound counterintuitive at first. But here's the good news. God doesn't need you. I've not seen that as a Christian t-shirt. I don't know if that would sell very well. Or as a mug or a refrigerator magnet. It does not sound very touching at first. But it actually is really good news that God doesn't need you or me. And we know this intuitively from our own families. I knew growing up that my mom and dad loved me, without a doubt. But I also knew that they had a life outside of me. It's true. I was not the sum total of their existence. And it is good for a kid to know that mom and dad exist outside of me in my little world. In fact, we know that things actually can get all out of whack when a parent starts to look to their child to fulfill their purpose, to fulfill some need, to give them stability, or whatever the case might be. So here's the point in the Bible. God was not bored or lonely or in some way incomplete, and so he decided that he would create a race of human beings. No, God has existed eternally and was not lacking anything ever. And what that means and why that's such good news is that God did not create you because he had to. He created you because he wanted to. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. Do you understand the difference? I've told this story before, and at the risk of you hearing it again, it's so fitting. And the more years we hang around together, you know, you do risk hearing sermon illustrations twice. So I'm going to share this again. I don't know when I shared it, but... I told you at some point that when I was a kid, my mom said to me, I think on more than one occasion, I think it was something she came back to, she said, Bjorn, I don't just love you, I like you. And what she's saying with that is, Bjorn, I have to love you, I'm your mom. But what she's saying is, my duty does not stop there. My love doesn't stop there. I actually really enjoy hanging out with you. I choose to spend time with you. God didn't have to create you. He wasn't lacking anything. But guess what? He chose you. He wanted to create you. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Now the next question might be, well, why, why did he do that? Why would he want to create us? If he didn't need to, why did he? And well, to get to that answer, you'll have to come back for future weeks this summer as we look at other attributes of God. But let me answer it in brief and just preview it by saying, 
He created you as an expression of his love. That's why. For the purpose of his glory. So let's put up some summary points here. God is self-sufficient. Meaning he is not lacking anything or in need of anything. He is the creator. I am his creation. He is everything I need. Now look at that last little sentence. Do you think that's an overstatement? Is God everything I need? You know, what about food and shelter and a car that runs and a job that pays and my family and friends? What about those things? Well, yeah, those are all good things. And yet they're all subsidiary to our need for God. That's why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other good things will be added to you as well. And it's also why people all over the planet, especially in much harder places to follow Jesus than where we do, have dropped everything to follow him. I was reading a story this week about a man from the Middle East, and I want to share a few lines of what he wrote, and so I'm just going to quote from his story. He said, One day when I was 17, a relative of ours came to visit. She'd recently become a Christian through her relationship with a missionary working in our country. And so she decided to come to our house and attempt to share the gospel. Jesus is Lord, I recall her saying. And he's come to save us from our sins. She supported her claims with several Bible verses. And as I listened to this woman read from Scripture, I felt something of its power. Something else in our relative's gospel presentation stood out. Her claim that Jesus can set you free from fear and save you from eternal death. And he says, these words were medicine for my soul and food for my hungry heart. I had never heard such words of peace and reassurance from our religious leaders. And in some strange but powerful way, I thought I could sense God's presence and authority in what she said. At the time, I had no understanding of anything like praying a salvation prayer. I didn't know how to repent of my sins or receive Christ as Savior. But as I went upstairs to my room, I could not stop reflecting on the idea that Jesus held the key to eternal life. He writes, suddenly I found myself on my knees. As I looked up, I said, Jesus, I know you are Lord. Save me. And set me free from my fears. The story goes on from there. It's an amazing testimony. Of a 17 year old young guy. Who eventually had to flee his country. Because of his faith. He had to leave everything that he had ever known. Never to return. But he had found everything he needed. In the self sufficient God. Who made him. Who saved him. And who would take care of him no matter what earthly cost. So let's turn now to the Trinity. Topic number two this morning. Our second reading found in Matthew chapter three. And I'm going to explain in just a minute how this is related to God's self-sufficiency. We didn't just randomly put them together. There is a reason for this. But let's look first at the passage. This is the story of Jesus' baptism. Which was not a baptism 
That's a cleansing from sin. Jesus is perfect. But it is the official launching point of his public ministry. It's also one of the places where the three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in the story. In this passage, as we pick it up, Jesus comes up out of the water, about halfway through what we read, and it says, The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Alighting means coming to rest gently on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, and so that makes the voice from heaven, the Father, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And in this inaugural moment of Jesus' ministry, we have all three members of the Trinity in attendance, if you will. And this is just one passage where we could look at this description of the Trinity. The end of Matthew's Gospel, by the way, is another great example. Jesus is sending out his disciples in the Great Commission, and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, which is singular, by the way, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word for this that we use is Trinity, which, interestingly, never appears in the Bible. We have a few words that are like that. And yet it is a thoroughly biblical word because it is the summary of what is painted all over Scripture from beginning to end. That God is triune or three in one. Now when we explain this, I find we often are saying a couple of things. The first of which is to explain or understand the Trinity is really difficult, which it is. But we might say it's it's almost impossible to understand this mystery of God. And so then the second thing that we'll do is that we'll run to some kind of metaphor to paint the picture. And so the three-leaf clover that we shared on the screen, that's a great example. I remember the one as a kid that, you know, the Trinity is like an egg. You've got one egg, but it's made up of a shell and the egg white and the yolk in the middle. Or I remember a book that we had as kids, and it was, the Trinity was like an apple. It's got the skin on the outside, then the flesh of the apple that you eat, and then the core in the middle. Or we might go a different route and choose a different metaphor. We would say, the Trinity is like water. It is a liquid, but it's also a solid when frozen. And on a day like today or tomorrow, it evaporates and it becomes a vapor, right? Or we might go with the relationship metaphor, and we might say, all right, I'm one guy, but... At the same time, I am a son and a husband and a father. And though these things are a little bit helpful, and and they are a little bit helpful, what ends up happening is these analogies inevitably break down and actually will teach something that is false about the Trinity. Historically, the word for that would be heresy. And so unintentionally, that's what they'll drift off into. The egg and the apple are examples of what we call tritheism, which says, no, actually there are three gods, and they kind of work together as a team. Our other examples of water and the family metaphor, those are examples of modalism, which means that there is one god who's like a shapeshifter, and he will take a different form or another depending on the situation. But that's not God. That's not the Trinity. 
Now, it is profound. It is certainly beyond our full comprehension. But it is understandable. And why is that? Because God desires to be known. So perhaps the best way to understand the Trinity is just to see what God has said about it in the Bible. And here are a few key points. God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Week number one, we said God exists outside of time, which is hard for us to wrap our brains around. God created time. He's not bound in time. He has no beginning and no end. And now this week, we're adding to that. So that was week one. He exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's make the connection now, as I said, back to his self-sufficiency. Was God bored or lonely before he created the world? Like twiddling his thumbs, wondering how to pass the time? Have you ever been so alone that you started talking to yourself? When I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend named Brian. He was great. Almost had to bring him back this week. (laughs) Was God lonely? No, God has existed eternally in the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's at the heart of those Trinitarian relationships? What do you think? Love. In fact, this is maybe a topic for another day, but you only get the preeminence of love From a triune God. So you want to know why you and I were made for community? It's because we were made in God's image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship with one another from eternity past. So the correct language to describe the Trinity, as Katie said to the kids, is one God in three persons. Which means he is not more one than three, and he is not more three than one. Now the Jews were strict monotheists. That means they believed in one God. And the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 was probably their most important prayer. They prayed it every day. They would wake up and they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Interesting that we pick up love then right away. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But in the very Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament, the triune God has been evident since creation. You can read it in Genesis 1-2. And is revealed increasingly across the pages of scripture. And as the story unfolds, it is the gospel itself that becomes one of the clearest ways to see the Trinity. In their primary functions, God the Father creates, the Son saves, and the Spirit helps. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. You remember, some of you have watched The Chosen or watched it in your Y groups. It's in that conversation that Jesus says to Nicodemus, probably the most famous Bible verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Nicodemus, there's Trinity in the gospel. 
And the Trinity shows up again later in John. In John 14, a great example when Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help and to be with you forever. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit, who'd been there since the beginning, was the subject of promise in Joel chapter 2, is now poured out when we get to Acts chapter 2 on all believers in Jesus. Now when we come to the Holy Spirit, let's just touch on this briefly. We've said this in the past. The Holy Spirit might be the harder one for us to imagine what that looks like. Part of the reason is that Father and Son are already relational terms. But Spirit, we might not be sure what what to think of with that. But the Holy Spirit is no less a person. That means no less personable than the Father and the Son. Now, it says in our summary that the Holy Spirit helps. And after we've talked about creates and saves, it could be that helps seems a little less spectacular. And I could have picked some other words that we could use to describe what the Spirit does. Teach, lead, counsel, comfort. But if you have ever just plain needed help, I mean, who hasn't? If you have ever really been in a pickle, then you know how powerful that word can be. If you ever laid in a hospital bed or you had to take in a tough diagnosis, then you know what it means to need God's help. If you have ever lost a job or a house or you've gone bankrupt, then you know what it means to need God's help. If you have ever been hurt by somebody, or your heart has been broken, then you know what it means to need God's help. And the Spirit is the one to do it. Do you see how personal the Trinity is? It was so important for me to convey to you this morning. Do you see how relational, how relevant this is? God created you because he chose you. He saved you because he loves you and he helps you because he's for you. He wants to see you thrive as his beloved child as you make this pilgrimage toward your heavenly home. There's that song I quoted here at the bottom of the slide. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it is true. The triune God takes such good care of us. And so the song ends, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. My brothers and sisters, it's good to study the word with you this morning. And I want to remind you that you will indeed be tempted in many ways to make God in your own image of your own design. And what happens when we do that? when we buy into that temptation, is that eventually we have whittled God down until there's hardly anything left. And I think across my 40 years, how many friends I've talked to, how many classmates, how many folks that I have met who have said, yeah, I believe in God. But that's all that they really know to say. They don't know what God is like. Their belief has no substance to actually believe in. 
And that cannot save you, it cannot sanctify you, and it certainly won't help you in a storm. Three weeks ago, I was flying to Los Angeles, and the flight was rough. And you know on a flight, and some of you fly frequently, you know there's normal bumps, normal turbulence, it's just kind of part of it, especially if you're going up, going down. But then you know when it's a rough flight. When the plane is shuddering and just being jostled and it seems like it's dipping and diving and your stomach is doing those little flips. And then what do you notice? Even the seasoned passengers start to look around. And they're going, hmm, this is not fun. It would be good if we were done with this. And then what happens? Ding! The intercom goes on, and you hear the captain's voice. And what does he say? Does he say, Hey guys, uh, I'm not sure what's going on out there. I'm really at a loss, and uh, you know, if you've got any good ideas, just send them on up to the cockpit. No, he gets on the intercom. And he says in a calm and measured voice, something like this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. Yeah, we've got a little chop out there today. And so we're going to climb a little bit, see if we can get up and out of this and find a smooth ride. In the meantime, I'm going to keep the seatbelt light on and keep the flight attendants seated for their safety. We thank you for your patience. We'll be back with you shortly. Do you know the captain's voice? Do you know his voice when he speaks? Do you know what God is like? He wants you to know him. The self-sufficient, three-in-one God wants you to know him so that you can say, so that you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, God You don't need me, but you chose me. God, you are my creator, my savior, and my helper. Every day of my life and forever. Let's pray. God, we stand in awe of your character. Your very nature, Lord, is reason for praise. And though, Lord, we are so small and fragile, and you certainly don't need us. Lord, you chose us. You saved us. And you have not left us alone to this very day. We praise you, triune and living God. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.